Welcome to my Book Tribes podcast. I'm author Tess Thompson, and today I'm interviewing the fantastic Pamela Kelly. She talks about her publishing journey and what inspires her fiction. Warning, this interview may make you hungry as two foodies bond over our love of restaurants. Enjoy Pamela Kelly. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I have a whole bunch of questions, and it looks like we've got some questions from our readers as well. So I'd love just to start out by telling us where are you at the moment? Are you in your office? What you know? Tell us a little about about where you live. Uh, I am in Plymouth, Mass, sitting at my kitchen table, looking outside at the sunshine. <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. We have not had good weather here in Seattle. It's a little chilly, though. It's not as warm as it looks. You need a jacket. Okay. All right. And do you uh, always write at your kitchen table? You know, I don't. I kind of, I do most of my business stuff at the kitchen table. But when I'm going to write, I go, I have an office. I have like a really nice office um, downtown that I go to sometimes. I used to use it for my recruiting business, and I just kept it to have a place to go. So sometimes I do writing there. But usually, and I have a home office, a really nice little office upstairs that I never use. <laughs> I do most of my writing uh, either at my dining room table or on this comfy chair in my living room with my feet propped up and my cat kind of hovering nearby. <laughs> nice. Oh, we have. Uh, mine is currently on my desk as we speak. Oh. All right. So talk to us about your kind of your publishing story. How did it, you know, how many years have you had books out into the world and how did, what was that process like? Okay. So I've always written, um, always knew that I wanted to be a writer. Um, I was a journalism major. I um, you know, started writing in school, you know, high school and all that. Um, and then I was a journalism major in college and I did that during school um, obituaries and wedding announcements, that kind of thing. Um, but I wanted to do something more creative and I ended up shifting gears into advertising and I did that for years and then headhunting, um, placing marketing people. And that was so much fun. I always did writing on the side. Um, it wasn't until, cause I was just busy, busy. I never like had time to do more than dabble with it, but it wasn't until my mom passed away at a really young age, um, suddenly, um, back in, 2002 that I kind of was like okay you know it kind of makes you take stock a little bit like am I where I thought I wanted to be and what about that writing thing I always wanted to do so I joined um, a local RWA Romance Writers of America group and started going to like monthly meetings and they were wonderful because they had all kinds of um, you know every time they met they had some kind of a workshop and it was just great to chat with other writers at all different levels and so I started writing then and still was working, you know, full-time, crazy hours. Uh, interestingly, um, I was a headhunter for like over 20 years. And the book that I just released is the first book I've ever written that actually has a little bit about that world in it. Um, so it kind of is like a, a look at the crazy world of headhunting. Um, so, but I never finished anything until I did a, a NaNoWriMo, the National November Writing thing. Um, and that's where you finish a first draft in a month. And I did that mm -hmm. 
and it was a really rough first draft and it was a mystery. It was my book, Trust, which was actually the second book, book that I published. Um, and I fin- by the time I finished it, I didn't even know who the killer was. Like I didn't, I didn't, I had 50,000 words, but that wasn't the whole book. I still had more to write. Um, so over the next three years, I finished it. I fiddled, fiddled with it. And I always thought that I was going to go the traditional route. Um, you know, that's what everybody did back then. And, you know, everybody was querying and getting agents and I still hadn't finished a book. You know, my friends were like way ahead mm-hmm. of me. Um, but then what was interesting is uh, there was a local woman, uh, Marie Force, that was, um, had been traditionally published and she had a series that just didn't get picked up anywhere. And she was kind of like, well, geez, I've got three books written. I'm just going to self-publish them. So she did. And then she started reporting back to us how she was doing. And, you know, while she, you know, while I was listening to that, I was still fiddling with trust and working full time, but I was also researching. I'm such a data geek and I, I read everything about the business and marketing. And um, I started coming to the realization that, geez, maybe I don't want to go the traditional route. Maybe it would make sense. Maybe my first choice would be to self-publish. Um, so I did at the end of uh, 2013, but I was so nervous about publishing trust because this was like the book of my heart this was like the book I always wanted to write and I just wrote it exactly the way I wanted to write it and I'm like well geez what if it's horrible and what if nobody likes it and what if I don't know how to do the self-publishing thing so I'm like well I'll just write another book and then I'll publish that one and see how that goes and if that one doesn't bomb then maybe I'll publish trust so I you know it took me forever to finish trust but at the next book I wrote I think in like six weeks and then I had a developmental editor who worked at Harlequin look at it because I wanted to make sure that I hit all the right notes and that it was as good as it could, you know, as good as I was able of doing at that time, you know, as good as I could make it. And that was a romance, um, six months in Montana. And so I, I went ahead and published that. And I had been on keyboards um, researching how people market their books. And so, you know, my headhunting, I placed marketing people. So I had like all these marketing things I was dying to try. So I tried everything on my book and I had so much fun. And, you know, I did it at 99 cents. I just, my goal was just to get readers and get my name out there and get established. And so I did that. And then um, people seemed to like it. So I said, okay, I guess it's safe for me to put trust out there. So I kind of did the same thing with trust. And then, and then I followed up, I think maybe four or five months later, with another um, romance in the Montana series. And it just kind of went from there. And that, so that was back at basically the end of 2013. So about, I've been doing it now for about seven years. And I did, um, I alternated between sweet romance. Um, I did another mystery. Um, I started reading these sweet historical mail order bride romances and really liking them. And I'm like, oh, that might be kind of fun. I wanted to you know, try something different. So, but again, I was afraid it would bomb and I was kind of super intimidated about historical in case I got the history wrong. So I did that under a pen name and met a bunch of people at uh, romance writers in San Antonio. And they encouraged me to, I was already in this reader group for those books and reading them. And so they encouraged me to like, just do it, just go ahead and write one. So I said, all right. So I, then I shifted gears completely out of contemporary romance and I did those historicals for I think maybe two years um and then I shifted back to contemporary 
and I started doing some multi-author series with um, some friends that also wrote the historicals. And we had a lot of fun with those for a couple of years. And that was, you know, I learned a lot about author cross promotion and long series and, you know, what readers liked about those books. So I learned so much from doing it. You know, one of the things I learned is that readers seem to really respond to the worlds. You know, they wanted to come back and see that their characters and what they were up to from book to book. So, you know, the back of my mind, I knew that someday I always wanted to write um, the books that I love to read the most, which is like the big, the big sagas, like the Danielle Steeles and, you know, some of the Debbie Maycomers or the Ellen Hildebrand, um, kind of family, but with a lot of characters and a lot going on. So I started a book on the side. Um, you know, I didn't want to drop everything in case it didn't go well. And so I just did it on the side. My original plan was I was going to release it in December, which was the one really stupid marketing idea that I had. I'm usually smarter than that. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, um, but I, I didn't have a deadline, which was a really good thing. So I was able to really take my time and get it, get it to as, you know, as good as I thought I could get it again. You know, you can only do what you're capable of at any time. I try to get better with every book. Um, and I really just didn't know what to expect for this. But I had a I had a marketing idea of kind of what I thought I wanted to do. I was going to be switching from Kindle Unlimited back to wide books because that's where most of the audience for the women's fiction seemed to be. Um, and I just had some ideas for marketing and targeting some authors in that niche and um, I started out really small and it seemed like it, it, it worked. And I got super lucky because I had a really wonderful cover, really talented cover artist. And it turned out that publishing that book in April was much better than December. <laughs> so I was, I was able to kind of catch um, the beginning of the beach season. And mm -hmm. um, so I kind of rode that wave all summer long and I just got really lucky. It was like the right book at the right time. And, you know, it was a family. It was about a, a woman in her, like my age, basically a widow in her early 50s, but also her four adult children. So I thought it would appeal to readers my age um, because she has a romance in the book, but also um, kind of the drama of her children and what's going on with them. And it's set on Nantucket, um, which is a place that I love. And I grew up on Cape Cod, so I've gone to Nantucket many times and one of my best friends and her chef husband lived there um so yeah and it turned out that that book did well so that series is kind of what I'm focusing on now and then I just did my first standalone um that's also set on Nantucket that's just in the restaurant world which is something I've also always wanted to do I actually started this book I want to say maybe I don't know eight or ten years ago I started it and then kind of mm -hmm. set it aside because I knew I wasn't ready wasn't ready to to go there yet you know but then when I was I you know was excited to get back in there and um so yeah so that's kind of what I'm focusing on now is alternating between the big standalones like this and um the family saga type series okay no, so, so I I really need to get into your Nantucket series I haven't had a chance to to do that but I'm looking forward to it they're totally like like the type of books I love um so what um Wilson one of your readers wants to know how you decide which ideas to create a story from and how long does it take you usually to write um, a book before it's ready for editing 
That's a really interesting question because a lot of my a lot of my books I think about for a really long time before I actually sit down and start writing them. So I don't really know. Like I it's probably I'd say probably about a year sometimes for the total concept, but then by the time I actually am ready to sit down and write, then it's then it goes quicker. Then it's maybe on average, probably two to three months. Okay. And do you... But I'm always, I'm always thinking way ahead. Like right now, I know I've got like a bunch of other projects kind of in my mind that I'm marinating on that are coming down the pipe. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to juggle a lot of different things at different stages. Do you, um, at this stage in your career, still use uh, 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 an editor, a developmental editor? You know, yes and no. Um, I did on my first couple of books because I wanted to make sure I hit the beats correctly. Um, and now what I do is I have a couple of writer friends and we do that for each other. Mm-hmm. So we're each other's developmental editors. So we're looking at story for each other and we understand the space really well. So um so, so I guess I say yes and no in the sense that I'm not using an actual outside editor, but I'm using a couple of people that do that function. Okay. It's, I'm really fascinated to hear your journey because what strikes me is that you have an equal part writing the book, the craft of it, you know, what genre you're interested in all that. And then it's paired with this marketing mind and it seems to be a very good union. Do you, do you feel that's true? I honestly love both parts of it. Like, I just enjoy everything about the business, like the marketing. The only thing I don't like, and I was talking to somebody about this today, I'm like, I really need to get myself an assistant. I don't have an assistant, which is at this point, I think I need somebody to help me because I keep putting off things that I don't want to do, like upload books to Ingram and and you know work with my I'm up I'm updating my website and I have to get stuff to her and I'm just like oh (laughs) so stuff like that I'm not keen on but I could sit there and I could fiddle with marketing and ad stuff like all day I love it I wish I was like you I'm hoping to learn something from you over the next few years (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right so Christine Cromarty I hope I'm saying her name right uh, wants to know uh, well, she loves that you mention Nantucket and actual restaurants that truly exist um, and that you describe their de- decor to a T as well as menu items. Um, and she wants to know if you are a foodie as some of your characters describe themselves. Yeah, I'm like so much a foodie. It's ridiculous. It's <laughs> like I like I torture my friends because I'm like, I'm getting a lobster roll for lunch. Do you want to see a picture? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. I, yeah. I, I also find myself writing a lot about food and I'm thinking it's, it's, I'm not sure what it says about me. I'm a little worried. <laughs> well, I've always kind of been that way and I have to be a little careful with it because I do have a tendency to go overboard and there's kind of a fine balance. Like not everybody cares that much about food. You know, right. some people, some people like it, but some people are like, okay, enough already get back to the story. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I understand. And it's I was talking about this the other day, I can't remember with who, but just how description in general is such a fine 
tuned thing. It's you can't have too much because you lose the reader, but you have to have enough to paint the picture. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Um, All right. Jan Knight wants to know, how did you go about research for this one? It sounds like one I would enjoy. I'm assuming she's talking about the restaurant. Yeah, she is. Um, Honestly, I didn't have to research it at all because this book, so I had two worlds in it. I used, I had so much fun with my recruiting world. I had one of the characters, it's based in New York City, and she's an executive uh, headhunter like I, so I had a blast with that. Um, But the restaurant stuff, I grew up on the Cape working in restaurants, and one of my best friends, the ones that live on Nantucket, her husband is a chef. So I've Mm. stayed with them. They've lived with me. So I know, like, all the jargon, like, um, and I used some of it in the book, so I had fun, like, um, like, like, I explained like most people don't know like if you go in a kitchen there's like a, a blackboard where there's going to be specials written but there'll also be like 86 swordfish and what that means is they're all out of swordfish right <laughs> I can appreciate that because I also worked in a lot of restaurants and uh, and actually my very first book was about a woman who goes back to her small town to open a restaurant Oh, cool. um, so yeah, I also have used a lot and we have another thing in common. I also was in human resources, oh, uh, more in the HR generalist side than recruiting, but my ex-husband is a recruiter. So we have a lot in common, oh. even though you're on the other coast. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, that kind of answers Gloria Youngbauer's question, which was, she wanted to know if you knew a chef personally that helped you with the research. Yes, I do. And I asked, I did ask him questions. I had a few questions throughout. So I asked, because I, I have, I think I, the several books I've mentioned, like chef related stuff. And so I'll be like, Carrie, will you ask Andrew about this? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's great to have somebody like that in your yeah. back pocket. Yeah. Um, Mary Clifton wants to know if you've ever wanted to own a restaurant. Yes, I have. I've, thought it's funny my friend Jen and I um, were both foodies like it's ridiculous there was one point and headhunters we used to work together there was one point back in Boston when we worked in the city that we were on a mission to try big stuff lobster to figure out who had the best one in Boston so we were like getting it everywhere it's ridiculous Uh, (laughs) but we used to talk about how fun it would be to own a restaurant and like when I worked in the restaurant you know we'd sit in the back of the restaurant and We'd be like, okay, if we own this place, we do things so much differently, you know. But then as you realize it, you know, restaurants are a lot of work. And it's interesting with the whole thing that's happening now with um, the virus. One thing I didn't know that I think is fascinating is how many restaurants operate so close to the edge in terms of cash flow. You know, like they've been hit so hard by not being able to be open. It's crazy. Yeah, actually, one of my best friends, um, he is, he's in the hospitality world, he does like, big events for um, the Sheraton, and his husband is a chef. And he eventually, after 10 years, I think, of working in the kitchen, decided to just give it up because it was so hard. And he, he just does it now more as a hobby and he is moved into hospitality, but their stories of how close to the edge, the restaurants are always at really shocked me as well. And I have a daughter who's thinking about becoming a chef and I'm, I'm a little, I have a mixed feelings about it. Well, Andrew has a nice gig now on Nantucket because he's worked all the, the hours are crazy too. Like he's worked right. Like, the best restaurants and 
you know, high-end country clubs and everything. Now he works at um, uh, assisted living, like a really high-end assisted living. So mm. It's in like a nine-to-five job, and those people are so lucky. They have the best food. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the place I want to end up. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, all right, so switching gears a little bit, what do you hope readers take away from your books? You know, I think that's a good question. I think, you know, what I try to write the kind of book that I like to read, you know, which is I want to feel good um, while I'm reading it. I like to write about nice people that um, are close, you know, close families, close siblings, um, because that's what I have, you know, and I'd like to read that. And I think people come away, you know, I want people to feel like these are people that could be their friends and people they want to spend time with and check back in and see how they're doing. Um, but then I just have to torture the characters a little bit to keep things exciting. <laughs> right. Do you find that hard? Yes. Oh my God. Me that too. Was, that was the hardest thing for me to learn to do. Like when I first started writing, I had the hardest time understanding the whole conflict thing because I just didn't want to be mean to them. <laughs> I'm the same exact way. And I still struggle yeah, with I it. every book. Yeah. 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 Um, so what would you, what, what would you say are like the three top things, advice you'd give to aspiring authors? Um, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I think the most important thing that an author can do is to read, to read widely, you know, to read in the genre that they're writing. Um, cause you can learn so much from reading. I think it's, um, and then writing, you have to write as much as possible. You learn a lot by writing as well. Um, join, join writer groups like the RWA, go to conferences, meet other writers. Um, you know, having some kind of a support system like that, you know, like I've, you know, I've met writers that, you know, some of my best friends are writers I've met in writer groups and, you know, we're spread across the country, but we're, we use Facebook like a little water cooler you know, and every morning we're chatting and, you know, one's out in Arizona and one's up in New Hampshire and we check in, okay, what are you working on? You know, so it's, because it can be kind of a, um, you know, if you're used to being in an office around a lot of people, it can be a little bit of an adjustment when you go to be a full-time writer. Um, but you can get, you know, you can get past that by being online and having your, your virtual chats. Yeah, I find it one of the best things about being a writer is all the amazing people I've oh, met. Yeah. And it's just feeds my creativity yeah. to be in the company of others that are, you know, usually much better than me. Yeah, me too. That's why we're crossing our fingers so hard. And we're hoping that the the NINC conference um, that happens at the end of every September still is on because there's so many of us that we look forward to that every year. It's like our adult vacation to hang out with our friends and talk about writing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, All right. What kind of books did you love as a kid? I loved everything. I mean, I read across all genres. um, But Barbara Taylor Bradford was the, the, a woman of substance was the book that made me be like, hey, this is what I want to do. You know, it was a big, Mm. huge saga, you know, a woman that, you know, starts her own business. I mean, it's just the most awesome book. I think I've read it like five times. Um, John Grisham, everything that he's written, like The Firm, A Time to Kill. Um, I love mysteries equally, mystery thrillers, as well as women's fiction. Those are the main things I read. I read a lot of romance. I read historical. I mean, I'm just, I'm just a bookworm. I read everything. 
Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, let's see. Now, how many books in total do you have out? Are you going to laugh? I don't know. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I think it's around 40. Okay. Yeah, you maybe lose count after 20 yeah. or something. Is that it's how it It's around works? 40. A lot of them are novellas. Um, okay. You know, I'd say probably more than half are novellas, probably in the 30 to 40K range. And then the rest are novels. Is there a book that's ruminating in your head right now that you think you're just not quite ready to write? Not ready to write? Um, no, I wouldn't say not ready. I've got a bunch of projects that are just waiting their turn. <laughs> right. But I have one. <laughs> They're impatient too, I'm sure. Yeah, there's one that I've been um, marinating on now for about two years. Um, so I guess maybe that's the one that I'm just... Um, getting ready to write it but I'm not quite ready to write it yet and that one's going to be it's got a title it's got a cover it's called Gilded Girl it's set in the Gilded Age and um, it's a big saga and it's um, set in New York City and Newport and I it's going to be a little bit of a reverse Cinderella type of a thing um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun a big soapy saga kind of a little bit of a doubt and Abby yeah, that sounds awesome. yeah, so I'm looking forward to that <laughs> Yeah, and then, then I have another one, um, that, the next thing that's coming down the pipe after Nantucket Weddings, which is what I'm working on now, I'm starting a brand new series that's called The Hotel, and that's going to be a big, soapy, upstairs, downstairs kind of a um, drama set at a really upscale hotel on Nantucket, so that should be a lot of fun. Well, that does sound fun. Um, what do you... Like, what's your writing schedule like? Do you write every day? Do you have a word count? I'm trying not to laugh because I don't have, I am the most unorganized writer. It's, I refer to myself as a binge writer. I have this weird process of what I would like to do is, and I'm going to try to start Monday. This is my intention. I say this all the time. Starting Monday, I'm going to write a couple of hours every day. Um, I would really like to do that. Um, but what actually seems to happen is I'll go days and weeks without writing anything, but I'm thinking about the story constantly. And then, so I hit a point where I'm like, okay, I can't put it off anymore. And then I sit down and I just start writing. And so then I have sometimes have these binge days where I'll do like huge word counts and, um, yeah, so it's just, it's not, I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we all have a, a process that we don't necessarily love, but it always happens over and uh, over, even as you try, because I'm such a pantser and every time I think, okay, this time I'm not going to change my mind about some large plot point in the at about 40,000 words and yet I seem to always do yeah, it. Yeah I'm the same way I'm a pantser. I'm a pantser that tried really hard to be a plotter and finally just said no that's not how I'm wired. <laughs> yep exactly. I think part of it too like you know as far as advice for aspiring writers is that part of the whole key to this is figuring out your process and that takes a couple of books then once you're sort of like, oh, yeah, I know how I work now, it's much easier. I do think one thing I will say is good advice for a new writer is I think it's super important to study story structure. Because um, even though I don't plot ahead of time, I plot as I go and I keep it in mind. Like I really want everything I write to hit, to be well structured. Um, 
And so one of the things mm-hmm. I did to try and understand that, because I had a really hard time with it, really just getting it. I think you know, on some level, intuitively, I did it with Trask. That mm-hmm. hangs together pretty well. I just kind of feel my way through the story. But I wanted to do it more deliberately, more strategically. And um, so I took a couple of books that I absolutely adored. I tried to figure out how they did it. And what I did was I reverse engineered them. So I I had already read the book. So I took like, um, I think I took The Firm as an example, because I loved The Firm. And I reread the book and I had my cell phone. And after every scene, I would stop and I would dictate into my cell phone. I'd say, you know, what happened in this scene? How did it move the story forward? and I did that the whole way through. And then I looked at it and that just helped me better understand tension and how they, how he built things, you know, basically how he built the story. So I think that's a good exercise to do with whatever your favorite book is. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's great advice. There's also a book that I used when I wrote my first book um, called The Weekend no- Novelist. I've, I've heard of that. Oh my and God, it's a book he... I haven't read yet. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's old. It's been around for probably 20 years. And he's actually a local uh, author. But anyway, what he does in that book is he takes um, Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant, which is a famous Ann Tyler novel, and he deconstructs it for us, just as you did on your own. And I found that one to be really helpful as far as story structure, because I agree, there's, that's like, I think the hardest thing to learn. Definitely, definitely. Oh, I might have that book out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So I guess we should wrap it up uh, with a couple of uh, fast, fast questions. Um, are you a beer or wine girl or? I'm a total nothing? wine girl. I'll drink beer once in a while if I go to a football game or if it's really hot outside, but I love wine. Yeah, so you will see you yeah. and I could be friends. <laughs> our foodie thing, our wine thing, it's all good. You, you could come out here and we, I'll take you to our Washington winery once it, we're my out of quarantine. Used to live in so he was right by a couple, I think, um, Chateau Saint Michel and another one. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and um, since I'd say it's been about maybe the last ten years, Woodenville has exploded. There's like a hundred tasting yeah. rooms. Yeah, it's crazy. Was, it's so much fun. We would have so much fun. I was to go out there this month, um, but obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> right. Um, all right, chocolate or caramel? Ooh, why not both? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Together or separate, right? Um, Super salad. Mm, salad. Okay. Uh, last meal. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, like the la- the one that if you were on death row, that last meal, not no, the one I you know, just ate. No, no. Um, I've actually thought about this before. <laughs> it would be a big stuffed lobster and a side of nachos, loaded nachos. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Nice low-cal meal. <laughs> all right. Well, this is, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, so this has been so yeah. much fun. Um, are you, tell us just briefly, how are you handling the quarantine in general? Has it been okay for you? I'm extremely lucky because I feel very fortunate. I'm able to work from home anyway with what I do. Um, And I live right by the beach and I have the most awesome neighbors Mm. and it really hasn't changed much for me, except I do miss going out to restaurants. You know, that's the one thing that I can't do. Mm. Um, But I do take out 
and you know it's I'm I wear the mask because <laughs> yeah wear the mask if you go anywhere <laughs> um but knock on wood you know it really I'm fortunate because it has not been a struggle for me the way it has for a lot of people yeah I feel like that too all right well thank you for spending a half hour with me today this was awesome I love learning more about you and your work and I know that thanks our so listeners much this will is too. fun take care bye all right take care